Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. We are uh, rolling into September here. And uh, in September, we're going to be doing a little project that we have been talking about for quite some time now. We're going to be hosting the Speaker Lab Summit. This is going to be an online virtual summit where we have gathered together uh, over 40 of the best speakers on the planet. I mean, we're talking experts, authorities, authors. In fact, I ran some quick numbers here. I, I looked it up. We have between the, the 40 plus speakers that are going to be speaking, 11 of them, 11 of them, over, what was that, over 25% of the speakers are New York Times or Wall Street Journal bestselling authors. I mean, we have a really top-notch group of speakers who really know their business, some of the people that are getting paid the most in the speaking industry, just to hear lessons that they've learned, how they've built their business, all of that. Really going to be a lot of fun. You can actually pick up your free ticket by going over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabsummit.com. So here's what we want to do to just kind of give you a little snapshot of what the summit's going to be like. Uh, we've pulled together some clips from a couple of, uh, of my favorite interviews so far and just to, to share those with you, just so you kind of get a sense of what we're going to be covering, what we're going to be talking about, who some of the people are. And again, I'm just giving you a little, I'm giving you a little taste, all right? We're just going to give you just a little bit of overview here. So so that uh, you're like, oh, I like, okay, all right, I see what this is going to be like. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. So today, what we're going to do is I'm going to play you a couple of clips from interviews I did with Pat Flynn and with Tim Sanders. And so you're going to hear uh, about about a third of each of their interviews, about 10 minutes each or so, give or take. And so with Pat, uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is how he basically, uh, how to discover the transformation that your audience needs from your talk. So we talked through how he learned to overcome his nerves uh, as a speaker, why speaking is more of a long-term play for him and his business, uh, why he starts with the transformation he wants his audience to experience, how he discovers that, the process he uses to go from concept to presentation, and how he incorporates creativity into his presentations. So that's basically what we get into in the entire talk. And again, we're just going to play for you uh, about the first... Uh, about first 15 minutes or so, so you can get a little snapshot of that. And then right after that, so right after the interview with Pat, we're going to play a few minutes of the interview with Tim Sanders. Now, Tim is a, uh, a best-selling author and speaker. And so with Tim, we talk about what meeting planners are looking for when booking speakers, right? This is something that you want to know. So he explains the three types of speakers that meeting planners are looking for, how to become famous in your own niche, how to have a, a powerful story, even if you have a seemingly, you know, quote-unquote uneventful life. That's kind of how I felt. Uh, we talk about the power and importance of a, a solid demo video, how to get over the fear of selling yourself as a speaker, and then why and how to develop thick skin as a speaker, and again, why that matters. So we get into all of that in the conversation with Tim, but again, we're going to play for you uh, We're going to play for you about a third of the interview or so, just so you hear a little bit there. So again, both of these, these are just two 
of the interviews that are going to be a part of the Speaker Lab Summit, where again, we're going to have over 40 speakers. You can actually, again, listen to all 40 of them for free. But again, all you got to do is just go over to thespeakerlabsummit.com, thespeakerlabsummit.com, register for your free ticket. And we're going to be playing all of these for free between September 11th through the 23rd, September 11th through the 23rd. So you're going to want to register for the ticket before then. All right, my friends. So uh, let's get into it. So again, today for the first little bit, you're going to hear Pat Flynn, my interview and conversation with him. And then right after that, we'll roll right into the conversation with Tim Sanders. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy Pat Flynn, who is a uh, speaker, author, entrepreneur, blogger, all-around good dude, and uh, he, he just he's got a lot there on the uh, on the resume there. So, uh, Pat, appreciate you hanging out with us today, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, Grant. Hi, everybody, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing whatever I can here in this next you know 30, 40 minutes to help you out because speaking has changed my life, and I'm sure it's going to change yours too. Now, okay. Now, you are someone that I remember uh, several years ago coming across your work. Your, your work has actually had a big influence on on uh, on me. So I appreciate what you do. I know it's impacted a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But I do remember, and I know you've referenced it several times. But I remember you saying several years ago that uh, speaking was one of those things like you were just terrified of, and now it's one of those things that. Uh, again, outside looking in, it seems like you're borderline addicted to. So uh, let's start by just kind of talking that through. What is that? What has that evolution kind of been like of going from, oh dear God, don't make me get up there to like, give me the microphone and let's do this. How has that kind of evolved for you? Well, the oh dear God is still there. Like every time before I go on stage, I go, oh dear God, why do I do this to myself? But then now I realize that that fear that I'm feeling is actually good because that means that this is important to me that I know I'm going to do the prep work needed to actually make this awesome for people and it will benefit not just them but also me and my business in the long term too. So my whole progression has been really interesting because like you said, I was deathly afraid of it. Never thought I would be somebody who would be addicted to it and wanting to do it more. Um, and now I'm at a point where I'm I'm getting asked to speak all the time and I have to turn it down, which is, which is obviously great. Um, but here's the thing. In 2011, I spoke for the first time at the Financial Blogger Conference, which was uh, the first time they had that conference. I did it as a favor for a friend. And I knew that it was going to be good for my business, but I kind of was just like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to do it. It's only 20 minutes. And it was in the middle of the conference. So I wasn't, I wasn't worried too much. I thought maybe there'd be like 30 or 40 people there because it was a smaller conference and they had breakout sessions at the time. Well, two weeks before that conference, uh, Philip Taylor, the founder of the conference, calls me and he goes, hey, Pat, um, our closing keynote is not going to make it. Can you take the closing keynote spot for us? And I was like, okay, is that in front of everybody? He's like, yeah, of course, it's a closing keynote. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay, I'll do it. And when I hung up, I was like, what did I get myself into? Oh, my gosh. And I was so scared. And like every day, I was like, why? Why am I, why am I doing this? And I prepped so much. In fact, I wrote 20 pages, word for word, everything I was going to say. And I memorized every single bit of it. <laughs> and um, that presentation's still up there, actually. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, and I still can't watch it because it's terrible. But the people who were in the audience, they, they said it was great. And um, it was because I went in knowing what I was going to talk about. And obviously, I scripted the whole thing. So that kind of helped. But I realized that that's the poor uh, way to approach speaking. And ever since then, like when I got off stage, people lined up to want to talk to me. They couldn't believe it was my first time speaking. Um, I got addicted to it, man. So I just started speaking more and more and more. I started to do it for free as much as I could. And then all of a sudden, I started to get paid thousand dollars a gig, four thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, and all the way up to twenty thousand dollars for forty five minutes of my time for for keynotes now that I do. And it's just something that I 
truly enjoy. I feel like when I get off of off the stage, you know, when I'm on the stage, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm having having like an out of body experience. Like I see myself there and I'm doing it, but like I'm in the zone, right? Because you prep so much. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And I feel like I had just performed like a set, like with a guitar in front of a huge crowd. You know, I just, I get that high, like I used right. to get back in marching band days. And um, I just love it, man. It's, it's, it's so good to see, like, when I do the prep work and I, you know, it's, it's hard because you're doing prep work for something that's going to happen way down the road. And it's only like 45 minutes of your time, but once it's over and you see it all come to fruition and, and it's great, it's just one of the best feelings in the world. And you can't stop, man. I can't stop. Right. <laughs> I feel like there's a Justin Timberlake song in there. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So for you, like what, like what changed in that? Was it something about maybe that one particular event or something that you did prep wise of how do you go from feeling like, I don't, I, this is a horrible decision. What am I doing to feeling like, um, I did the work and went really well. I want to do that again. It, it almost reminds me like one of the things you and I have talked a little bit about offline is doing like half marathons and triathlons and these things are like mm. the outside looking at you're like, that's just a horrible, like, why would anyone do that? And then you yeah. put in the work and you do it and it go, whether it goes well, or it's a disaster. Like, even if you're exhausted, you feel the need to like, I can't wait to do that again. So is that like, talk us through that. Is that, is that kind of what it is for you? Yeah, I mean, afterwards, you, you just feel so great and you see what it's done for the people who are in the audience. Um, you just you just want to keep going, right? And just like you said with the marathons, it's like while you're doing it, it sucks. But after you're done, you're so proud of yourself and you get right. to see just what you've been able to achieve. And, and, and it is like a marathon. It's, it's a long distance thing. You know, it's not just something you could throw together and then speak the next day. That's comes later. And more recently, I've been doing um, sort of more impromptu presentations, you know, getting called up on stage at certain events when I didn't even know and being more confident about that. And that skill has only come with experience. Um, but yeah, man, I've, I've gotten addicted to it and I, and I love it. So, you know, the more I can help others feel the same way, uh, the happier I am. So I want to talk about your kind of your process. Um, but before we do that, I'm curious just for you in terms of how does speaking, like, how do you see speaking fitting into your business? Because um, you are someone that, that you have a lot going on. You have a lot of irons in the fire. Mm -hmm. um, so why one more thing? Like why speaking? Why does speaking make sense for you? Especially when you have so many other things that you're known as a, you know, that you run the blog, Smart Passive Income. And so you have a lot of passive things in place. Whereas right. speaking, even though, like you said, it may be that 45 minute window that you're speaking, it is hours and hours and hours of, of preparation. It's time away from your family. Yep. So for you, like, why does speaking even make sense for, for what it is that you do? Well, that's a great question. And if you know me and my brand, you know that I only do things that I know are worth my time. So this is very good because it's something that does take a lot of time. Like you said, it's not just the 45 minutes on stage, it's the travel, it's all the brain power that you're using to put out, put together this great presentation that you're taking away from something else that, that you could be doing. So um, this, this is really important. And for me, it fits into the more authoritative thing. You know, I'm on stage, I'm in front of a crowd and people see that even if they're not at that particular presentation, those things are filmed and they're talked about and I'm on the speaker page and that will help give me more authority which builds brand trust and that's really why I'm doing it. That and also just because like I said earlier, I'm just in love with speaking. And so those two things combined make sense for me. Um, it doesn't necessarily present an immediate ROI in terms of dollars. Sometimes it does, especially for those larger presentations and even better if it's in San Diego, my hometown, where I don't ha have to travel much. Um, but it's more the long-term game. It's, it's the ROI and the fact that when I speak somewhere, I'm building authority and it allows me to use that as a part of my resume to speak somewhere else. And you know, now I have a lot more uh, leverage when it comes to where I want to speak, how much I want to charge and all that, all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of times there's kind of this misconception that, um, that you're not a real speaker if you're speaking for free, if you're, oh, if you're, only, if you're speaking less than a certain dollar amount. Um, but I think it's important to note that, like you said, there are a lot of um, uh, almost non-tangible benefits that may come along with speaking other than the, you know, the, the, the check that you may or may not receive. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned, the, the authority, the credibility, the networking with other speakers. Totally. So just that type of thing can really add value in other ways that may be a more of a long-term play than just, I got a check or I didn't get a check. Right. And also if you plan on writing books or doing anything like launching courses down the road, the fact that you're on a stage speaking in front of people just says something to those who are potentially going to buy your book or buy your course or share their book or share your course with other people. So it, it, it does play a huge role beyond just the immediate dollars that you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about your preparation and your, your just your prep standpoint. So, because uh, you are someone, I, I've seen you speak before, and you really, you put a lot of energy, you put a lot of effort into it. Uh, this is always a, like a misconception about professional speakers is that, oh, you just you just get up there and you're natural. You just wing it, you just shoot from the hip, and you yep. just make it up. It's like, no, no, there's hours and hours and hours spent going through. So, I want to just kind of walk through your process. So, let's imagine, let's just play this out. Let's say that I'm, a, I'm running an event. I invite you to the event. Um, and Pat, I want you to come uh, speak about uh, how to build raving fans, right? So you know what the topic is. You know that you're going to be doing, let's say, a 45-minute keynote. Uh, you're staring at a blank screen prepping your talk. Like, where do you even begin to put together a talk that you know is really going to, to blow your socks off? So, so like, from a logistic standpoint, but then even just from a mental standpoint, mm-hmm. what are you kind of thinking about? What are you kind of, uh, kind of, what's going through your mind as you're going into just the process of creating uh, to get ready to deliver the talk? Well, you'd mentioned staring at a blank screen. That's actually the worst thing you could do. You don't want to even get to your computer, get to keynote, or get to your um, SlideShare or, you know, PowerPoint. Um, and I even forgot what they call it now. I'm <laughs> such a Mac user now. Um, th- that's a mistake. You don't want to start there and just like you would start normally a blog post. People approach that and they're like, okay, what do I do from here? That's the wrong approach. There's a lot of things in preparation and research that happens before you get to that point. That is really important because when once you want the keynote or the PowerPoint to be a tool to enhance what you've already done to be able to illustrate and visualize those points that, that you're making. And really the big keyword here is transformation. That's the one thing that I always think about when I go into a presentation. I first talk to the director or the person over there who you know is hiring me and I ask, well, okay, who is in this audience? Who are they? What are they made of? Like, what are their likes, dislikes? What do they want to get out of this conference? And then we try to determine if it's not predetermined yet what that particular topic is going to be. And I always look at, okay, who else is speaking? If possible, I look at who's speaking before me, who's speaking after me. That way I can understand where my particular talk might fit in the timeline of people's experience at this particular presentation. So as you can see, we haven't even touched on, you know, mm-hmm. slides or, or stories or nothing yet. We're looking at who is going to be at this conference. That's the most important thing. And then transformation. What transformation do you want them to have from the time that they have with you while you're up on stage. And what I mean by transformation is, well, they come in knowing something and then they come out knowing something new or something else or something different. What is that transformation you want? Now, it might be just a fancy way of saying, oh, well, what's the purpose of you being on stage? But I like this transformation word because it puts the emphasis on the person in the audience. Like, what is it that's happening in their brain that you are helping them understand or learn or achieve? And that's the most important thing. And from there, once you figure out what that transformation is, then you work backwards. That The transformation is the end goal. It's what they're going to leave that room with. And then you work backwards from there. Okay, 
how do I go from where they were to this transformation, work backwards, and these are the points that I'm gonna make. These are the stories that I'm gonna tell. This is the progression and how I all make it happen. And that becomes the bare bones of that particular presentation. Again, this is all notes, or really I use Post-it notes more than anything else to help me figure this out because something, sometimes things get reordered, Post-it notes are my best friend. So once I figure out, okay, well these are the, you know, I sort of brainstorm, just brain dump everything I know about this particular topic people, stories, case studies, data, anything I can share related to this particular transformation. And then I start to clump them into order, put them into a hierarchy, and then I start to see the bare bones and the skeleton of this presentation from there. So it starts to form itself sometimes, again, all based on that transformation. Um, and so that, that, that becomes, okay, then I start to add the detail in. Okay, how do I tell this particular story? How should I start this? And then I get into more detail. Okay, when do I pause? When do I walk across the, the stage, you know, all those sorts of things are things that matter, but those things don't matter until you figure out, you know, the transformation and then the points and then the stories to emphasize those points and all that sort of stuff. And then I always kind of, before I uh, am finished or satisfied with the presentation, I always think about the intro and then the outro from there too. So how do I want to make this introduction to this topic? Um, and I try to typically do it in a very memorable kind of way. If you've ever seen me speak before, you'll notice that in the first 10 minutes, there's something that typically happens, even when, in the first five minutes, that is something that people will continually talk about even after that presentation is over. So at FinCon 2013, I was invited two years later to do the opening keynote at FinCon. I actually fell on stage. Like I ran up on stage and I fell pur purposefully because the topic was about first impressions and the fact that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So I figured, hey, what, a, what, a, what better way to make a first impression than just to leave the worst first impression that any speaker could ever make? And then I actually had the audio guy rewind the audio that was there to put me on stage, rewind it so it sounded like it was going backwards. And I popped up and I walked backwards and then I kind of rewound the whole thing. And then I went back and did it again and made sure I didn't fall the next time. I actually rehearsed falling and I learned from people on YouTube on how to fall properly and realistically <laughs> without getting hurt. The sad thing was I practiced on carpet and the stage was a hardwood floor. And so I actually ended up puncturing uh, or bruising my rib on that fall. But it was totally worth it because it was memorable. People still now three years later are talking about it. Um, another time for the Raving Fans presentation, which is become my most famous, I guess you could say, presentation that I've done that I've been asked to do dozens of times after that initial one. Um, I start off by playing a video with my wife and she is talking about how she's such a big fan of the Backstreet Boys and I film her opening up her little memory box which has like action figures and a framed picture of Nick Carter and it just makes everybody laugh and it kind of loosens everybody up but it really introduces the fact that people become such raving fans that they have Backstreet Boy dolls. Um, and so people remember that and they come up to me later and they're like, oh man, I, I had something like that for this thing that I was a fan of. And again, it okay. just becomes that seed that just starts this whole conversation I have that leads up to that transformation on raving fans. And then the conclusion is always something that they could take home with them too. And, you know, I try to make the point that just do one thing because... Too many, too many speakers try to get their audience to do too many things. But I say, here, here's this transformation. This is how you get started with that. Just do that and everything else will fall into place. So that's kind of how I work through the prep of it. Obviously, we just talked for like five minutes about that. It takes days, sometimes right. weeks to go through that entire process. So I'm planning ahead. If that, if that conference is, you know, a year down the road, 
six months earlier than that, I'm already understanding what that transformation is, what those stories are, and I practice telling those stories. I tell those particular stories to people in person on Skype. I reach out to my audience and actually have conversations, and I tell them that, you know, I'm practicing for presentation. I want to know what they think about this particular story and I'm getting their reaction live on Skype so I can understand, okay, what points actually are driving home for them? What points do I think are going to drive home that are not? So I can really refine and define what it is I should be saying. Um, and I no longer use scripts anymore. I just use outlines and I trust myself. Now that's the biggest thing, the biggest shift I've made as a speaker over the past few years that I've trusted myself to know how to tell these stories. I use my slides as visual cues for what stories to tell, but I don't ever put more than a few words on a slide. I trust myself now to tell that story or to make that point or to share that case study with people. And that's been the hugest thing because it comes out a lot more natural. People are a lot more engaged. Just like I'm having a conversation with you right now or those who are watching this. I had, I didn't prep word for word everything was what I was going to say but I understood coming into this conversation what I wanted to talk about because Grant told me okay these are the things we're going to cover so that's how I approach it in a nutshell hey there my friends Grant Baldwin here hey today we're joined by Tim Sanders who is a speaker author and uh, all-around great guy he's hanging out with us today sharing some of his wisdom and things that he's learned along the way in his speaking career so uh, Tim first of all why don't you give us a, a high-level view of what it is that you do what your business looks like and then also how speaking kind of fits in the mix of everything I live in Las Vegas Nevada my primary source of income is professional speaking mostly booked through speaker bureaus Every year, I'll do between 50 and 70 events for corporations, associations, and governments around the world. I write a book every few years. My first book, which I think I'm probably best known for, is Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. My most recent book that I just published in February is Deal Storming, The Secret Weapon That Will Solve Your Toughest Sales Challenges. If I'm not speaking or writing a book, I do some consulting for corporations, mostly around sales and marketing. But fundamentally, dude, what I focus on is bureau relations and getting paid to speak. Gotcha. All right. So you, obviously you've been at this for a while and you've got a lot of experience in this world. And I'm sure over the years, you've had plenty of people who have come up to you and said, Hey, I want to, I want to do what you do. How do I, how do I do this? Cause you know, outside looking in, it seems like, Oh, you just, you know, you just go speak and, and connect to the bureau here and there and just all magically happens. But you and I both know it doesn't work like that. So uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of, of getting into the speaking business? First, I got to tell you how I got into the speaking business, because I think that's kind of an important, you know, discussion. Um, I didn't ever think I would be a professional speaker. I mean, I was working for Mark Cuban at Broadcast.com back in 1997 when uh, Michelle Lemons from International Speakers Bureau said, hey, you're a pretty good presenter. If you develop a story. I bet you could become a professional speaker. And a few years later, uh, my first book I mentioned before, Love is the Killer App. Um, Fast Company put it on the cover for the February 2002 edition, and that came out on a Friday. And when I came to work the next Monday at Yahoo, I had almost 20 voicemail messages from talent agencies and speaker bureaus saying, we have a client that wants you to come speak at an event in Monaco. They have a budget of $20,000, et cetera. I wrote down all the leads. I, I went to our founder, Jerry Yang, and I said, what should I do about this? This is crazy. And he said, take vacation days. Go be a good guy. You're an ambassador for the brand and come back when you run out of vacation days. <laughs> and I ran out of vacation days in about a year and a half. And then that kind of started moving me out the door at Yahoo. 
here's the point. You are paid to speak because of three reasons. Reason number one, you are famous and you put butts in seats at a corporate events or association events. That's the number one reason that a speaker gets paid. That's why a Bill Clinton gets 250, 350. It's not so much that he's that much better um, as an orator than anyone else. It's that he's that much more attractive to have on your schedule. The second reason that you get hired to speak is to share your success story. And whatever you did is something that the meeting planners or the audience wants to replicate. And that's the second reason. The third reason that you get hired to speak is because you demonstrate the ability to deliver business value. Whatever you say from the platform, you say with authority and you say it in such a way that it's actionable by the audience, this is something that a value proposition you don't launch yourself with, it's how you sustain yourself. Every time I see a speaker launch onto the circuit, it's always because something happened in the real world that made them look successful. They also happen to have the gift of gab and they were generous enough to share their success stories. So what happens is you become hot for a minute on the lecture circuit, and then there's a decay, and that's why authors have to write a book every few years. It's just like a band. you got to get another hit on the radio if you want the bureaus and the agents to be thinking about you. So as a speaker, there's only two ways you fight that decay. You do more stuff that gets you in the public eye, or you develop a consultative style of speaking where you are really good at doing client interviews, really good at doing research, really good at writing one-of-a-time kind talks. I think of it as public consulting. Your ability to do a, what I call a really compressed consulting engagement, deliver it from the platform. Here's the last thing I'd say. The reason that outsiders hire you to speak is because what you're saying validates what they've been trying to teach their group or what their objective is for this event. That's why it's so important for you to have a success story in the real world and a sense of authority because when you come in from the outside validating the insider, presumably it sticks. And that's why when you have a preview video, your first few seconds better get their heads nodding. It better share perspectives. It better say, this is how you become successful, and this is what you should do, because that's the key besides fame or besides a story. That's the key in getting hired and having a longstanding speaking career. Gotcha. So you said those three things. So getting famous, which is going to rule out 99.9% .9 of us that we were. Hey, Gary, Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk went out and got famous by making 800 videos about how to drink wine. So you'd be surprised you know what people can do to generate recognition in a big public profile. But yeah, I mean, it is tough. I mean, short of, I tell people all the time, if you had a choice of starting a company or becoming a professional speaker, start the company first, make it outstanding, make it something that somebody's heard about, and then retreat into public speaking. Don't get it backwards. Um, because the more, the more you do, you can point to that and you can say, I was the executive vice president at Oracle Cloud when they took over the world. I'm just making this up. Nothing launches your speaking career like a successful career in the real world. Gotcha. And so even it sounds like though, like with the Gary Vaynerchuk example, is that sometimes in some situations, you're not necessarily Bill Clinton, former president, but you may just be a big fish in a small pond. So in your niche, you right. may be famous. Would that be accurate? Yeah, maybe you have a, maybe you started a company that everybody's heard about. Maybe you work at a really big company. I can tell you right now, the chief marketing officer at Tesla, if she wanted to, could become a professional speaker in two years based on that, right? And we know people like that. Like, like Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeffrey Hazlett makes it 
it onto the lecture circuit because of what? He was the CMO at Kodak. It's a famous fail story. He's happy to talk about it. He shares the cautionary story. Is he also a good communicator? Sure. But it's like me. If I don't go work for Cuban, if I don't go work for Yahoo, we're not having this discussion because Grant, in the, in the meeting industry, and I have fair disclosure, I write for MPI. In the meeting industry, the whole thing of like professional trainer goes public speaker, that pretty much stopped around 2001, 2002. The whole idea of like go out and give a bunch of free speeches, build up a reputation that you're a good speaker and get paid. If you're trying to get over 5K for a speech, them days are over. If you're trying to get into high fee speaking, remember, you get it. Because when they put your name on the schedule, people are all like, man, i got to go see her speak. And there's just nothing that drives your fee more than that. Whatever you do, whether you land a TED Talk, start a company, really do a good job of being in the media all the time. Maybe uh, like Dr. Phil. Oprah had Dr. Phil on nine times, okay? He was a courtroom scientist. I knew him. He lived in Grand Prairie. He didn't have a chance to become this person that we know now until Oprah had him on the show a bunch. So however you do it, just make sure you lead with your story and you stick with your delivery. Gotcha. So you mentioned the, also the, uh, just sharing your success story is another way that you could potentially get bookings. So in terms right. of success story, are we talking a professional success story that this is something that I, I did in this company or in this industry, or is that more of a personal thing? Oh, no, no. I mean, they're, they're, or could it be either? What, what does that look like? So there's mountain climbers we've never heard about that become very famous on the lecture circuit because they're like, look, I climbed this mountain, Mount Everest. And everybody's like, man, that's pretty hard. And here's the way I did it. And here's how it's relatable to you as a leader of an organization in crisis. Uh, last year I counted it. There are at least two dozen explorer mountain climbers that are very successful on the lecture circuit because getting to the top of that mountain is a success story that can be transferred to other people. So, you know, again, it's just whatever that success story is, it has to be something that's transferable to a wide range of audiences and something that people are like, I want to know what she knows. So you'll see people like, uh, uh, for example, Robin, who's part of CMI Speakers. Uh, Robin, think, uh, she's a champion. So she's a champion Olympian. That's a really good one, too. They won something important. I've seen Apollo Ono speak. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not the greatest communicator, but got the greatest story based on winning and what it takes to, to come back. So whatever it is, if you've accomplished something that's transferable, that's what you package your speech around. And you couldn't like survive a, a near-death experience. Uh, you see a lot of people that have grown up with disabilities and handicaps that have overcome, right? Like, like Sean Stevenson, great people that have overcome, that inspire other people. But focus on your success story. I remember when I first got started speaking, this was such a huge challenge for me because I felt like I'm a, I'm a white male from the Midwest who grew up in a normal average family. I don't have any tragic story. I don't have any amazing thing that I've overcome. It just feel, it feels to me very, very vanilla. And I think oftentimes to people, what the things that seem normal to us may be extraordinary to someone else. So how do I kind of get over that mindset that uh, I, haven't, I haven't climbed Everest, I haven't won a medal, I haven't, you know, fill in the blank, uh, done something significant in my mind. How do I get over that in order to feel like what my story is, is worth sharing with an audience? Well, I think that as you 
share that story via video, via places like YouTube or Facebook and see what resonates, you might find that little piece of your story that's highly relevant, right? So everyone might have a particular thing they write about, like our common friend, John Acuff, the young John Acuff. Uh, what a wonderful guy. He originally shared a story about the conflicted life of the entrepreneur who has a day job. And it kind of culminated in his book, Quitter. And he was out giving speeches. But what's interesting is that the first thing he did is he gave speech, speeches from a place of expertise, right? So he first went out as an expert in counseling people to overcome the how sex can screw your life up when you're young, right? So he went out and talked about abstinence. He had a lot of research he was able to share. He had a personal success story about that. And then he kind of developed a bigger story for a wider and more mature audience about how to be a quitter in a good way and to chase, you know, entrepreneurism. So that's a good example of, he probably didn't think that was an amazing story, but the point was a lot of people really resonated it. I mean, think about Tim Ferriss in 4-Hour Workweek. Tim did create an online company where he was able to delegate uh, writing and publishing to a bunch of people offshore, and it did make some money. It's questionable as to how much it made. Maybe it made a few hundred thousand. But that little success story in delegation became the basis of 4-Hour Workweek. And the reason 4-Hour Workweek resonated is because we all realized we don't want to be like our parents working 60 hours a week. So we touched upon an aspirational theme, working only four hours a week. He was able to point to the fact that he did that, traveled the world, accomplished all these uh, things that are random, like being a great dancer or a great uh, fighter, whatever, and people wanted some of that too. So find your success story, but make sure it's something other people aspire to, and then share how you did it. That's how you build a great first speech. That's how you build a great first book. Every great first nonfiction business or advice book is how I did it. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pat Flynn and then the latter half of the interview with uh, Tim Sanders there. So really good stuff from both guys that are really, really sharp, really know their stuff when it comes to the speaking world. And so again, you definitely want to pick up your ticket. Those are just like a few minutes of the hours and hours and hours of content and uh, value and wisdom that we're going to be sharing with you from uh, all of these speakers. So we have, uh, we really have a top-notch lineup of speakers. I mean, we're talking again like Andy Andrews, Chandler Bolt, Chris Brogan, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Josh Ship, Michael Port, uh, and Amy Port as well, Scott McCain. You heard a little bit from Tim Sanders. We're going to hear from uh, Dory Clark and Jeff Goins, Ken Davis. I mean, just some really, really top-notch speakers. So you're definitely going to want to go over and pick up your free ticket over at thespeakerlabsummit.com. Again, that's thespeakerlabsummit.com. That way you can watch all of these interviews in their entirety. So, all right, my friends, that uh, I think that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time on the next episode, episode 90, what is the next one? 94. We're going to be sharing with you a couple other snippets of some interviews with a couple other speakers. So make sure that you, uh, you catch that episode coming up in just a couple of days. We'll see you soon. You're awesome. <laughs>